You're listening to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Lady and Some Dudes Podcast. We are so excited. We have a real treat um, for our listeners today. We have Alvin Williams with us. Um, He is a former Villanova Wildcat. Shout out to the Wildcats. And a former NBA player. Um, He played in the league for 10 years from 97 to 2007. And he played with the Trailblazers, the Raptors, and then um, ended off with the Clippers. Um, Alvin, thank you so much um, for coming on the show. We are so excited to have you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Good. So we're going to start this off and just allow you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Where are you from um, originally? And kind of talk about what sparked your passion for basketball. Well, allow me to reintroduce my... No, I'm not. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not um um Alvin Williams here. I'm from Philadelphia, Mount Airy section of Philadelphia. Uh I, I don't know. It's hard. It's, you know, I mean, don't talk about you don't talk about yourself, but just growing up in Mount Airy, um I attended a high school named Germantown Academy. Went there in middle school as well, private school right outside of Philly in Fort Washington. Um, ended up going to Villanova playing basketball there for four years and just graduated with a liberal arts degree. Don't, don't ask me what that means, but it was something I just got a piece of paper from my, on the liberal arts side. But for a long portion of my career, I was, I was uh, elementary education was my major. Um, then I was fortunate enough to be drafted and I played in the NBA for some, for some years, which was you know a dream come true. And uh, that's where I am today. I, I mean, married, three kids, um, happy, happy father, happy husband. And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it. Um, that, that's all I got, I think. I mean, if you have questions or whatever, but pretty simple. It's a pretty simple life so far. Hey, Al, you know, I'm coming at you like this because I, people don't know, I grew up uh, looking up to Al. Uh, I was one of my, one of the guys I looked up to growing up uh, playing basketball, just a real thorough guy. And I never realized how close we lived to each other. Cause I was, you know, I'm younger than Al and I couldn't even go that far up the street. He lived on Forest, I lived on Cedarbrook, you know, but, uh, you know, when I got a little older, I realized who he was and, you know, this guy's just always been a thorough, thorough guy, really thorough, thorough guy. I really appreciate him. So Al, I want you to talk about a little bit, if you can, what is, what was like, uh, growing up in Philly playing basketball. A lot of people play ball a lot of different places, but Philly is one of those places that's a hard-nosed, uh, rough cut, you know what I'm saying, guys, a group of, group of ball players. What's it like growing up playing in Philly? Well, thanks for the thanks for the praises, man. I appreciate it, Young Buck. I can't, I got to stop calling you Young Buck, too. You're a grown man <laughs> doing great things, so I got to stop that. I got to get that. But that's a term of endearment. You know, in Philly, that's a term of endearment where you call your young fellas Young Bucks. But, um... Growing up in Philly, I'm sure it's like any other city, New York, you know, right down the street from us, Jersey, whatever. But Philly is one of those cities where it's, it's an aggressive mentality. It's a, it's a aggressive approach. It's one of those things where it's called the city brother of brotherly love, but it's not a lot of love when it comes down to, you know, the competitive side. There's a, 
there's a there's an approach, but there's also a, a connectivity to people. We understand each other, and but we compete at a level like we don't know each other. Shucks, Kevin, we when we was playing, when we was both not playing, we used to go hard, and that's when I you pretty much fully put me in retirement the way you used to start giving it to me. But it was a great time. We grew up and it was a league called Sunny Hill League, um, Total Response Leagues, different leagues around that we will all just play. It's a different time now because AAU is so prevalent where kids get a chance to venture out a little bit more and expand their games and meet different people and go travel, which we really didn't do that that much. So we stuck home, we stuck to the script, we went around different neighborhoods and played, but pretty much that was it. It was, it was a great time, great experience. And I think it helped us develop, not just as young men, but ultimately we became friends. A lot of people that I played back then, I'm very close to to today. Um, we share a lot of stories. We work with each other. We communicate a lot. So it, it was a great time that I would, I would never, I would never trade for anything. So Al, this is uh, Evan. Uh, once again, great to have you on the show. Um, so you came up in Philly uh, I think you graduated probably class of 93, something yep. like that. Yep. Uh, she was class 93 as well. So, you know, that obviously you came in an era where you're playing with a, against, I'm sure you played against a, a future Hall of Famer. And Kobe was not too far behind y'all, maybe a few years behind you. So what was that atmosphere like competing against guys that you're going to see in the, at the next level? Uh, great again. Like once you, you never, we didn't, we never grew up thinking about the NBA. Of course, you watched it and, you know, like I said, it's a dream come true, but it wasn't our reality. Like you can talk to she and another guy I'm close to, Katino Mobley, um, my buddy Jason Lawson, I went to school with, Kobe was younger than us, but, you know, you think, you listen to Kobe, that was Kobe's roadmap. Like Kobe wanted to be the best basketball player and wanted to go to the league and do all those things. But as far as myself and she, like as much time as we spent together, we never talked about going to the NBA. We never talked about anything um, of that sort. We just played, you know, we competed, whether we were on the same team, um, whether we were going against each other. We played against Sheed in summer leagues, played against him when he went to North Carolina, but we never talked about playing in the NBA. And Sheed had a real reality. We knew Sheed was gonna to go to the NBA. It was, he could have went from high school and all those type of things. So. Um, but it was great. Once again, we developed relationships. We used to work camps together. We used to barbecue, hang out together, drive around together. We got in car accidents together. We, we did everything, man. So once again, that's what sport brought to us. Sport brought, you know, we didn't worry about the money. We didn't worry about anything. We had fun. Legitimately, we had fun. It was nothing like Kelvin could tell you, you could ride by a street, you can see she Wallace sitting on the steps, Kat sitting on the steps, Jay sitting, we just sitting there, just talking, having a good time, being young kids and not worrying about anything else. Wow, that's amazing. I want to take a step back. And hey, Alvin, this is Phil. Um, when did you know that you were different, that you were, when, it was, when you had that aha moment that I could, I'm going to, to the next level, I could go to the next level? whether it was in high school or in college. When was that aha moment for you? I never had one, man. Like I never, I never felt different. I never felt like I had an aha moment. Like I said, basketball, NBA was so far of a stretch for me because we were always told, hey, what's your backup plan? You better have something to fall back on. Only one out of 8 trillion people, one out of 8 trillion people um, 
I'm sorry, my son. One out of 8 trillion people might make it to the NBA. Some number, crazy numbers like that. Anywhere you went, whether it's John Chaney, Sunny Hill camp, whether it was, you know, the Sunny Hill, all these things, they will always tell you, you know, academics, your character. They did, they stressed those things about life. So I never really had the understanding. But when I was in college, I played with a guy named Kerry Kittles. He actually got drafted and he came back to school my senior year and told me some stories, told me there might be, there's a little interest. People have asked him about me. And that's when it was probably the first time I was like, wow, I probably can go to the NBA. So that was it. But I really, honestly, man, I never had that moment where I was like, I'm better than this dude. Now, of course you wanted to compete and you wanted to play and you thought you were good, but I never had that where it was like, aha, I'm, I'm about to make it. Cause it was always fighting to get a position or try to get there. Definitely, definitely. Um, and thank you for mentioning Chaney. Just, you know, rest in peace to that legend. Um, let's kind of transition and talk a little bit about your um, college career with Villanova. You kind of mentioned what it was growing up in Philly and kind of what that grit and that atmosphere was like. How was your transition um, to college playing at a high level? Um, with Villanova, um, did you have transitionary woes? What was that like? That was the worst ever. That that was the toughest transition in my life, other than probably having a child and change going into parenthood, going to college, and from high school where you're thinking you're the man and everything came easy. You know, you do whatever you wanted on the court. You're getting recruited. The schools are telling you everything you want to hear, how great you are, and whatever you wanted. And then you finally get to campus and you, you realize you ain't nothing. It's, it's like you're starting right at the bottom, you even lower than the bottom. Like, and everything is just so new. The, the pressures, the, the expectations, the, your priorities, the time man, all those things that I've never, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared for, um, it hit me all at once. And then you finally get on the court to something that always came easy to you. That was even hard. You're playing against the top players, Nothing you're doing right is in the eyes of the coaches. You're going harder than you ever had to go before and nothing's promised to you. You're still sitting on the bench. You may play, nobody talking to you, homesick. Luckily, I went to school 20 minutes away. So that, that transition, and I tell any kid, that transition is the toughest one. You gotta be really built from high school to college because there's nothing like it. At that moment, it was nothing like it for me. So it was very tough, challenging had me second guessing myself, had me had me thinking about quitting basketball for the first time in my life. So I went through every emotion, every emotion, but I was blessed to have a great roommate and a great friend in Jason Lawson who pushed me, another guy named Jonathan Haynes from Philadelphia that I looked up to at that moment that kind of helped me go through the ropes, you know, and, and that was some, that was good. And me being close to home also helped a lot, but it was very tough. Yeah. I, I I kind of, I kind of understand exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it, but it became a, a, a situation where it was real favorable for for you too. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, you had the little tough spots, especially in the beginning, especially in the beginning. But then you had a great career at Villanova. What's some of your most uh, memorable highlights uh, playing at Nova? Um, you know, we my my rookie my rookie my freshman year we won the NIT which was pretty good. You know, of course it wasn't the NCAA and, you know, he got a lot of funny stories. I remember we, we were watching a selection show and we didn't get selected. And then the coach tells us that 
we're gonna play in the NIT. I was I was just happy for the season to be over freshman year. I was done with basketball. I was I was so tired. But he's like, we're gonna play, you know, NIT, and he gassed up the NIT, saying that was the original tournament. And he gave us he gave us some language, man, that put the battery in our back. But I remember walking through campus, we trying to fake hurt, so we like we weren't gonna play anyway. But we had to play, man, and we ended up start winning a the game. Then we been win another game, and now we hype like we about to play Duke in the Final Four. But it was the NIT, so that was a that was a good moment because it start getting you know Villanova on the map, I guess. Of course, Kerry Kittles, he he start coming into his own. And then um, that was a good time. And then we won a Big East tournament that year. So we progressively got better. You know, we weren't that good prior to that, but we got better and better. So the NIT and then actually going to the tournament, even though we always came up short, you know, in, in the tournament. So but I want to say, you know, winning winning the NIT and um, the Big East championship was the first time Villanova ever won a Big East championship. Um, up until that date. So that was that was some good moments, man. But there was a lot of moments, you know, off the court. I, I learned so much off of the court. You know, I used to I used to go around campus not couldn't wait till I graduated, till I couldn't wait till I was finished college. And people used to always tell me they were gonna be the best four years of my life. And you couldn't tell me that at the time. So there were things that I learned on and off that court on that campus that that shaped me a lot. And um I owe, I owe a lot to just being there at that moment with those type of people that I was with. So growing up in Philly um, and playing in the Big East. So one, you played in the Big East and you played, you know, Georgetown, yes. Syracuse, all of that, the original Big East. Yes. Uh, and then two, you also had those inner, in, in Philadelphia, those rivalries, Temple, Villanova, uh, UPenn, all that stuff. So. Mm -hmm. Of those two experiences, which one was the most difficult environment to compete in? The Big East was the big, by, by far the Big East, because at that time, you know, you had Georgetown, AI was there, Connecticut, Ray Allen, Syracuse, John Wallace. But even for those four years, man, Lawrence Morton, those teams were really good. That's when I first realized, like, these are grown men. And that was a time where people stayed for four years. So I remember the first time playing against my very first Big East game was against Georgetown. I grew up loving, I wanted to go to Georgetown. They just didn't recruit me. But I remember my first game getting to play against them and they were 25th in the nation and we weren't on the mat and we beat them. But I remember it felt like standing, I was just standing a half court and everybody was just running around me. The game was so fast. Everybody was strong. It was, it was the craziest experience for me. And then the next game was against Providence and they was so strong. Like they was just like country fed, like, oh man, it was, it was crazy. So I was just like, the Big East was tough, but the big five was so much fun because they were your peers. They were people that you would play. They were like everybody in Philadelphia, whether it was St. Joe's, Penn, LaSalle with Kareem Towns and those guys. And then Temple with Aaron McKee, Eddie Jones and these guys, then you had LeVan Austin. So we had a lot of people that stayed in the area that we would play against in the summer or we grew up playing against, but now we playing for our university. So they were the most fun. And people knew you being, being a Philadelphia guy, like you were known because you grew up in a big five, you grew up around the area. For Villanova, the challenge was a lot of times, it wasn't a lot of people on our team that was from Philly. Um, it came to my notice that I was the first one since 1973 to actually from Philadelphia that went to Villanova. Chubby Cox was the first one in 1973. And I was the last one. So it was 20 years later. So we didn't have a lot of people. So Kerry Kittles, our best player, he didn't care about playing against UPenn or LaSalle. 
he didn't get up for those type of games. He's like, big five, what's the big five? But he would get up for the Syracuses and all these other schools. So it was that dynamic in practice. Like, yo, man, we playing against St. Joe's tomorrow. We got to be ready, man. Mark, uh, uh, who was a player? Carlin Worley was there and all these guys. Like, yo, you got to be ready to play these guys. You're like, who? Who are these guys? But it was fun for me to, man, the big five is legendary playing in the palestra. So two different elements, but the big, the big East was more difficult to play. in. Wow. So I want to jump forward. How did you, one, how did you transition from that college to the NBA and being drafted and knowing that you're going to the next level and starting to understand that game? Because that's a totally different game. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's crazy? I say about the transition from high school to college, how hard it was. From college to the pros, it was easier. Um, the expectation and, and the standards is, is different challenges, right? You, you, now you're a grown man, you're making money, you're, you're living on your own for the first time. I was, I mean, I'm a Philadelphia guy. I stayed in college at Villanova to be close to my parents, to be close to my family, my two sisters, and everything around. But now I get drafted, I'm all in Portland. I couldn't be any further away from Philadelphia and the NBA. So that was a challenge. But actual game, um, it was good, man, because the game, I learned so much through my four years. I had experience. I had certain things. I, I met a lot of challenges. I knew how to play hard. You find out in the NBA, people don't play as hard. They play off a of talent. And, you know, the talent is only but so much. If you don't play hard every day, if you play hard every day, you give yourself a good shot. And that's, that was where I was coming from. Every day, every practice, I play hard. Sometimes they got annoyed with me because, you know, players, man, they wasn't trying. They older, they wasn't trying to play a practice hard and all that stuff. So I had to slow down a couple of times because I ain't know nothing else coming from college. Every day you had to play hard. So that was, that was big. But the other thing, you seen the pro, you seen how people really, how good people really were. You're seeing that somebody's taking 15 shots, they're making 14. Or if somebody is missing a shot, you you really realize, wow, you're surprised. So, you know, I, I was lucky, Rashid Wallace, another, my, my brother, childhood friend, he was in Portland. So he helped me as well, that transition. I would chill with him a lot. But the transition wasn't that hard. But everything that came with it that I wasn't experienced with, with having money and free time, and I didn't have much notoriety, but those things come came a little later. But those were the challenges, right? Those were the challenges, really grown men problems that we weren't equipped for to become NBA players or young men with, with a little bit of money in their pocket. Wow, that's cool. So I know in your NBA career, you had the benefit of playing with some really amazing um, players, teammates. Um, my question for you is like, who were some of your favorite teammates um, over the course of your career? I was very lucky to have great teammates. Like you hear a lot about NBA players and personalities and stuff. I was lucky first going to Portland, you know, I said she was there, but J.R. Ryder was a great teammate. Kenny Anderson, um, Arvina Sabonis, uh, Stacey Augman, Brian Grant. Brian Grant was like my vet. He was a guy that I remember first time, you know, they have you as a rookie do these things like carry your sneakers. Gary Trent was that dude for me. He's like, yo, young boy, young, he call, used to call me a dinger. Yo, dinger, gra grab my sneakers, grab my bag and all that stuff. So I remember one time we had a mini camp in Vegas and Brian Grant, I was walking on the bus and he, he said, young fella, sit right here. Told me where to sit. And I was like, damn, here we go. About to start, start, start the hazing. 
And he tapped me on my shoulder and gave me like $500. He's like, hey, that's for you, man. Just, just take that. You know, you know, we, I was in Vegas just, we were in Vegas. He's like, I, I won big on the crap table, take some money. He's like, yo, and anything you ever need, you know, you can always talk to me. So he was the first guy that, you know, that really took me under his wing and it was great. So it started from there. I had, I had expectations like that. And then I got traded to Toronto where I played with Charles Oakley, Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry, um, Kevin Willis, Antonio Davis, D Brown. I had so many older guys that I looked up to that I was actually in a locker room with them and hearing the stories and Charles Oakley invite you over his house and cook for you and cook for you. Like it, it was the best. Like I really had some great teammates and I don't even get into, you know, the Vince Carters and Tracy McGrady, like these guys that, that ended up playing, you know, the younger, they were the young guys and they became the mega stars. But the veterans that I had was so instrumental and influential on my career and very supportive because I had some rough times in Toronto when I first got there. So I had some great teammates, Mark Jackson. He was a, he was a, I had so many vets, unbelievable. Like you don't see that many vets in, in the league this year in these days, but they helped me out a lot, man, a lot that I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell them how valuable they are, they are in my life and my development. All right, Al, this, this part of the show is like the rundown, man. We're just going to ask you some, some questions. Um, some tough ones, not really tough ones, but some fun ones. Man, bring them on, dog. Bring the right, questions on, man. That's my, that's, my, that's my guy right there. I can. <laughs> yeah, man, Listen, bring them on. Who was, who was your, the player that you looked at and say, like, listen, I want to play against him? And who's that person you was like, yeah, I, I not, not so much? <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, you get in there, you wanted to play against Michael Jordan. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to play against him a lot. My rookie year was his last year in 98. Then he came back for the Wizards, but you know, it wasn't that same Jordan. But when Jordan was there in 98 and you had Pippen and Rodman and all like that team, first of all, it was like the Beatles that came in town. I remember them playing them in Portland and I couldn't tell if we were home or away because every time they scored, our crowd went off. Like it, it was, I've never seen that attraction in my life. So Jordan was that guy. And then a guy that I just got tired was AI, of course. Like AI was that dude, because I played against AI so much. I played against him at Georgia in the league, played against him back here in Philly. It's just like, come on, man, I'm tired of this dude, man. But you know, AI was just such a monster, man. But I will say he's the one guy that, you know, I respect so much because I know where he came from. I knew it, I knew his challenges that he had, but it never affected how he went about on that court. And he always, you know, he always brought it as everyone knows, but AI was that, AI was that guy that I enjoyed playing against, but I didn't really want to play against. I had the front, like I wanted to play against him. I didn't, I didn't want that. So now you bring up AI, you played in probably one of the most iconic playoff series, Vince versus AI, Raptors versus Sixers, went game seven. What was it like playing in that series? One, you're coming home and your own fans are probably booing you. Yeah. So what was it? What was that series like? Watching Vince put up fifty and AI put fifty four the next game. And what was it like? I was reversed it. So AI put up fifty four and then Vince came back and put up fifty. And I, I remember that because I remember when AI had the fifty four. First of all, I think he had like forty something. Then fifty. He he, he scored about five hundred points in seven games. So on me. So it didn't matter. But he had fifty four. And I remember seeing Aaron McKee in the back. And I'm hot. I'm sitting there in the corner like, damn, I can't believe. 
We lost. We had a chance to go up 2-0. I just got baked in front of everybody. And he, he just tapped me on my shoulder. He was like, yo, man. He's like, once he get rolling like that, man, ain't nothing you can do. Don't even worry about it. Whatever. So the next day we go back, the next we go back and play in Toronto. And Vince has 50. And I see blue. I'm like, yo, man, don't worry about it. Once he get rolling like that, ain't nothing you can do. So we going, they going back and forth, man. Vince had 39, another game. Like it was, it was iconic series, man. It was like, although you hate losing, if you lose by a last second shot and lose by one in game seven against, you know, the team that goes to the finals, ultimately they had the MVP. They had the sixth man of the year, Aaron McKee. They had the coach of the year and Larry Brown. I think they had a defensive player of the year and Dikembe Mutombo. Every game they had an announcement and like a celebration, all four games there. It was just like, man, come on, man. So that team was a very good team, but it was funny how it reversed when the Sixers actually, when the Raptors and Sixers played 18 years later, however many years it was, and it came down to another game winning last second shot, game seven, a different outcome. You know what I mean? It was just it was just crazy for that thing. Sorry to mention that, Kelvin. You're a Sixers fan, right? So, so yeah. So it's sorry to Don't mention. Don't be sorry. That. Don't, Don't be sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was great, man. Being a part of it, it was it was once again another opportunity that came because I know I'm talking a lot, but the year before I was on, I was in a, under the bench, and I just remember playing New York Knicks, and they swept us. They swept us, and I remember looking out in the crowd, seeing Puff, seeing all them. It's like, damn, before I die, I got to play in the playoffs at the Garden. And then luckily, the next year, I got an opportunity, and I was starting that year. So just being patient, and it really came full circle. And then we went and played Sixers. So it was a, it was a great time of my life being a part of that. Man, I, I got to agree with Evans. You, you were one of the cream of the crop of the era of basketball literally the generation of talent you played with generation of talent like throughout your whole career um but my question is uh, really i want to step back and you mentioned cheney and do you have any story about him you could share with us man heck yeah got a lot of i went further i went to john cheney's sunny hill camp when i was about 10. so i got a really a chance to see and i my john cheney coach cheney was very close to my mom's family playing basketball he was close to my dad so I had a relationship with coach Cheney for a long time they used to you know my dad and those guys they used to get out of McGonagall Hall play half court three on three eat crabs you know afterwards so I all and I used to go down there and watch and shoot on the court by my and I was young I was very young and I used to go to that camp I went to the camp from like 10 years old till I was like 14 and so I've always coach Cheney always had a big impact on my life I saw how he was a disciplinarian how he was a coach, how he was a father figure, how he was all these things. And me growing up in a strong household with a strong father, I recognized what he was right away because I had that on my doorstep. I had that in my home under my roof. So very influential, was fortunate enough to get recruited by Coach Cheney. It didn't go well. I didn't, Coach Cheney stopped talking to me. If y'all know Coach Cheney, Coach Cheney is a tough dude. Coach Cheney stopped talking to me for a while because he didn't like the way certain things was handled. I can't get all into that, but it was uh it, it was good though. Coach Cheney, man, he, you know, legend, legendary. And if you just see all the lives he impacted, all the young black men, all the white kids, he he impacted everyone because he stood for something and he stood on it. And and it was nothing that it was is nothing you can take away from him. It is is all love and respect. 
and admiration. So, you know, I didn't get a chance to play for him like, like some of the guys, but he was in my life at an early, early age. And um, I was blessed and fortunate for that. That truly is a blessing um, to even have that interaction with, with him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Coach Cheney right. was crazy. Coach Cheney was, <laughs> he, the, th I, the things that he would say to us, there's no way it could be said today. Like, <laughs> like I, I remember being in this camp and it'd be bedtime and we're messing around. I, it, I, I yeah, I, I can't even say it because I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. But Coach Cheney, but like I said, we all came from that. That's what that's the disciplinarian we came from, and our parents would leave us there knowing that's what we were going to receive. We we're in safe hands, and but we we're in a way we're not going to act up. And if we are, we're going to be held accountable or we're going to get kicked out of camp. So either or, it was like another parent there. So sorry. To I love that. Here. No, I love, and you know what? I think maybe some of these new, new age players need a little bit of Cheney type attitude in their lives right now. But that's a whole different show and a whole different topic. These kids, uh, can, these kids could not take John. Today, <laughs> no, no. John Cheney got out maybe a year a little too late. But he got, he got out in enough time because we will be reading some different stories of cooking <laughs> some of these kids. So we always have to ask our guests, every guest that come on here, who is the GOAT for you? The greatest of all time. Who holds oh, that title for you? <laughs> That's tough. <sighs> That's tough. I mean, I got to go with Michael Jordan because of the impact he made in my life and how he made me envision basketball and make me want to go out there and do those things and his accomplishments. You can't deny it. And just that, but I really, I really, I really appreciate LeBron James. I appreciate him just, you know, being an 18 year old kid, you know, that had expectations that he could only fail, but he exceeded those expectations. He, he didn't have college coaching. He didn't have some of the coaching that some of the great players end up having. And he's still making a way. And then just his impact off the floor. You just wonder how someone that young with all the notoriety and fame and, and finances that he, he, he's attained throughout the years to, to conduct himself the way he conduct himself in a mature level. So mm -hmm. I, I count being being older and, and being under being able to understand those things and the challenges that come with that, I just respect it so much more. And those are some of the things I try to express to young kids and people that I work with about, you know, it's so much bigger, it's so much bigger than being an athlete. It's so much bigger than how how good you are and what people from the outside and their opinions about you. It's mm -hmm. really about how you go about your life. And he's a great example of how to conduct business, how to conduct himself, how to conduct as, as a family man. So across the board, I really, really admire LeBron James, mm -hmm. but I would have to give the greatest because of my age and the impact that he made on my life as a young kid, Michael Jordan. Fair enough. I think we have a general consensus here when we're Who talking you got? about- Who you got? Oh, MJ. MJ, okay. like okay. it's not MJ. I have one question when it comes to this conversation. How is Kobe Bean Bryant just skip? I feel like Kobe Bean Bryant is kind of disrespecting this conversation because his contribution was amazing as well. So where, would you put, where would you put Kobe in the mix of those of, of the pantheon? Um, 
Kobe Bryant is there. Now, if you're talking about game, and that's the whole thing, like, it's hard to compare LeBron to, LeBron to Michael Jordan. Two different personalities, two different approaches to the game. Now, Kobe and Mike were, like, identical twins. So that's the piece. But, you know, Kobe's right there, man. But, you know, Kobe, due to his unfortunate death and the time of it and everything like that, he's received in a different light. It was a long time when I was playing. Kobe wasn't liked that much. He wasn't liked by a lot of his teammates. He wasn't liked by fans because Kobe was so tunnel vision of, to greatness. So Kobe wasn't talking to much, many people. He wasn't mentoring many people. He was, he was in, he was had his track of being the best, which he did that. And when he retired, then he started lending a hand. He started having those conversations, start mentoring more, start doing those things for the younger players, right? He, um, so he's looked at a different light than we know him back then. So Kobe, a hell of a player, hell of a person, first of all. And, you know, you got to take your hat off. So you got to put him right there. But I think it's when you talk about the greatest, I mean, you definitely have to mention him, but I don't think he falls in that category. That's just me. That's just me. But Kobe's, Kobe's a monster. I don't, I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm not taking anything away from him. Alvin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, this was actually really, really entertaining. And we hope that we can have you on in the future if that's possible. Um, we really enjoyed talking with you. So thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I don't know exactly where everything is going, but a lot of it, you know, that, that post-career is a lot of things that I've found myself interested in talking about when it comes to like the post-career. Mm -hmm. and challenges that come they talk about the different stages of transitioning from high school to college college to pro pro to you know a different stage of your life where the challenge from the start to now is is a lot of challenges and it's, it's mm -hmm. a, an, another episode or whatever i'd love to discuss that whoever your guests are you know what i mean that's something that be really helpful for a lot of people to talk about and people to hear about as well no absolutely and we will definitely have you back um to discuss i just, I just invited myself back <laughs> pretty much i mean but look we're with it because we, lo we loved it so we will definitely get that set up kelvin will definitely be in contact with you um about that for sure for sure thank you for tuning in to another episode of a lady and some dudes please remember to follow us like share we are on facebook and instagram our Facebook handle is at a lady and that is the and sign, some dudes. Our handle on Instagram is a lady and some dudes. Everything is spelled out. So that's a lady, A and D, some dudes. Until next time. <laughs>